Welcome to Sean Anthony's Story Shop Gas Bar and Takeout, where the gas is never cheap, the beer is never on sale, but the stories are always free. Here's a special Father's Day episode where Sean celebrates fatherhood through two of his favorite stories, 50-50 and Time After Time. We want to dedicate this episode to all the great dads out there and to all of the positive role models who have played such a huge part in our upbringings, because we were all raised by a village, right? These stories are written and told by Sean Anthony, and the content is produced and edited by Mina Rajlu. If you'd like to learn more about Sean or would like to order his book, Axe the Gate, visit his website at seananthony.ca. That's S-H-A-W-N-A-N-T-H-O-N-Y dot C-A. This episode is sponsored by TaxWise. If you've moved from a house with stairs to an apartment or condo to accommodate your condition, you should speak with TaxWise about the refunds you may be eligible to receive. And we're also sponsored by Pop-Up Podcasting. If you want to do a podcast from anywhere in the world, contact our buddy JP. He'll help you out. That's JP at popuppodcasting.ca. Now pour yourself a nice cup of whatever. Sit back and enjoy Sean's pandemic Father's Day stories. Hi, to acknowledge Father's Day, I want to tell one of my favorite stories. And this story I like to call 50-50. The reason I call it 50-50 is because my parents and myself and my sister, we had this deal. And that was if we wanted something that was significant, uh, my parents would be willing to usually go 50-50 in on it, as in, if we wanted something, a purchase that was special. I'm not talking about a pair of pants. I'm not talking about a jacket. I'm talking something significant. One of the examples of that is I really wanted to play hockey. Up until I was 14, the only hockey that I played was was shinny hockey. I would get up sometimes early on Saturday morning and go down to McGregor Arena and pay the $2.50 or the $5 or whatever and take my uh, half a bag of hockey equipment and and play shinny hockey with whoever happened to show up. And shinny hockey is basically uh, sticks thrown in the middle. You make up the team there. Whoever shows, shows. You might have goalies. You might not. You never have refs. Always a good time. Always lots of ice time, too. But I really wanted to play league hockey. And when I turned 13, we moved into our first house that we owned on Dewey Drive in Scarborough. And I said to my mom and dad, I said, hey, you know what? I really want to play this league hockey. I'm at a point now where I can do that, and I really want that to happen. Registration at that time for hockey was very expensive. I want to say it was over $300. And we're talking 35 years ago. Like I said, my parents had just moved into that house. We didn't have a lot of money. It was the first house in Ontario that my parents had actually bought. Every place we lived in prior to that, we had rented. So they said to me, they said, hey, here's the deal. If you want to do the hockey, that's great. But you have a choice. You can pay for the registration or you can pay for your equipment. Because at that time, all I had was a couple of pieces that were basically hand-me-downs from other people. Needless to say, I took the equipment. I remember looking at them and saying, how am I going to get this? I'm I'm 13 years old. I don't have a job. And uh, they, they said, go out. You have a lawnmower there in the backyard. You have a street full of neighbors. They all have lawns. If 
find out who needs a grass cut. Do that all summer long. They all have driveways. We get lots of snow here. Find out who needs their driveways shoveled. And that's exactly what I did. I went all summer up and down the street and I asked uh, a bunch of people and I got this regular clientele of neighbors to cut their lawn for anywhere from $10 to $20 to $30. Even the gas station on Ellesmere, uh, they let me cut their lawn once a week, their front lawn and back lawn. I think I would get $30 for doing that. On a side note, about 10 years later, I found myself working in sales and later marketing. And people would ask me, hey, man, where'd you learn how to sell? You're pretty good at this. And I'd always tell them I needed to buy hockey equipment when I was 13. (laughs) That's where I learned to sell. And if you need something bad enough and you're willing to go out and knock on doors and get it, then you learn a lot. I never ended up getting just hockey equipment that summer. I got a lot of good life and business lessons that summer as well. That being said, I went through the whole summer and at the beginning when I started buying things, I asked a buddy of mine who he was playing for Cedar Hill Hockey League out at Ellesmere Markham at Centennial Arena and I said, Hey man, where do you go for hockey equipment? Like I know you can go to Canadian Tire, but I'm starting to buy stuff now because it's the spring and I'm starting to get a bit of money together, then I go buy this part and I get a bit more money together, go buy that part. So him and I went to Just Hockey up on up on Lawrence Avenue in Scarborough. And then it was just a, a store and a strip mall. And we get talking to the guys and they said, hey, you know what? We got a layaway program. And I said, great. And these guys did everything they could to get me fitted out with hockey. However, when you come in and you're literally making payments of $40 every two weeks, uh, they, they were a bit limited as to what they could offer. It certainly wasn't their highest end stuff. But by the time hockey season came up, I had my full gear, my full bag of equipment for hockey. And I got it on the ice. I was proud as punch. My mom and dad paid for the registration as they promised. And I got, I had all the hockey equipment. It was great. About a month into it, after a game, I go home, I get in the shower, I come out and I'm wearing a towel and dad sees this massive bruise on my shoulder and another one on my hip. And he said, oh my God, what happened to you? And I said, the pants I bought were the cheapest on the market. And the shoulder pads I have, they're so thin, it doesn't really matter if I'm wearing them or not. And dad kind of slapped his head on his forehead a bit and kind of went, oh, you know, maybe I should have went out with you. But that was on me. That was my responsibility to buy the equipment. And as much as the hockey equipment in the bag belonged to me, so did those bruises. Looking back, though, now, I don't know which day I was prouder, the first day that I scored a goal or the day that I picked up my hockey pants at the end of the summer after paying them off all summer long. Now I think about it, I think the the proudest day for me was actually after my first actual game. That was my my proudest day that year. I remember thinking during the game, man, this is this is actually happening. I'm on a team and I'm contributing. And we won that game. I remember we won that game and I got my first assist that day. I was I was along the boards, I had the puck. I pass it to the centerman who was in the slot and he put it up in the glove side corner. 35 years later, I still remember that. That's how significant that day was for me. Then another deal a couple of years later, 
my mom and dad and I went 50-50 on. I was getting of age. I wanted my license. And mom and dad had to deal with both me and my sister that we had a choice. Once again, we could pay for our driving lessons or we can pay for our first year insurance, one or the other. Of course, I did the cost analysis and I knew that paying for my driving lessons would be cheaper. So that's that's what I did. And because I was paying for it and I didn't have a lot of money, I was looking for the cheapest. And I looked everywhere. I was calling up everybody in the yellow pages. Yes, I know I'm dating myself when I'm saying this, but it was the 1980s. So that's what you did in the 1980s. I also looked in the back of the paper at the classified ads. But one day I was standing at a bus stop on Warden Avenue and I see this ad taped on the side of the bus shelter. Probably should have been my first indication of what I was getting into. And I called this guy up and sure enough, he was the cheapest. This guy was the cheapest by a long shot. Once again, you're 16, you're super excited about driving and that independence that comes with driving too. You're really excited about it. So I called this guy up. I agreed to it. The in-class was being held by another school, which basically he outsourced me to. And he did the driving instruction. He's supposed to come by on Saturday at 9.30. I was up ready by nine and 9.30 rolled around. He hadn't shown 10 o'clock rolled around. He still hadn't shown 10.45. He finally pulls in the driveway and he gets out of the car and he starts walking towards the house. I've been watching by the window. I met him halfway, halfway out to the car. Mom was looking out through the front door. We had a screen door then, uh, and she was watching what was happening. He came out and he said, sorry, I'm late. I got caught up in this. And I said, no problem. I just want to make sure we can still have the lesson today. He said, no problem. And he looks up at my mom, who I believe had just gotten out of the shower or whatever, and she had uh, uh, basically a, a, a robe on. And he said, let me go and apologize to your mom for being late. And I said, no, man, no, no, we're, we're already behind schedule. Well, let's get going. He goes, no, 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 I want to go apologize to your mom. And I said, no, no, it's it's time for us to go. And he goes, I'll just be a second. I said, no, get, get in the car. <laughs> and I wasn't a big kid. I was 16. I was maybe 160 pounds. And this guy was like a 35 or 40-year-old man. And I just kind of went to him and I like as if to say, Buddy, don't be inappropriate. My mom just got out of the shower. She she doesn't really want company right now. Shortly after we got started in the lesson, he said to me, he said, oh, you're, you're a bit of an experienced driver. You've already been driving. And I said, yeah, my dad's been teaching me. And my dad was an excellent, excellent teacher of driving. He was a bus driver and he had lots of driver training. And he shared that with both my sister and I. So he said, you know what? We're, we're just going to take our time and just have a bit of fun. And I said, okay. So what we would do on the lessons is he'd take me up to Kingston Road in Scarborough, which has a lot of motels that have half day rates. Some even have hourly rates. And we would go through drive-throughs of McDonald's and Wendy's, whatever, pick up food. And then we'd drop them off at different rooms at these motels. He would just run in and drop these bags off. Meanwhile, I'd be driving around through these drive throughs He'd be ordering whatever he wanted. He'd say, get yourself a Coke on me. 
um, because I was all of a sudden uh, his chauffeur, of course, to these miscellaneous motel rooms. I still don't know to the day who the recipients of these combo number threes were, but uh, that's what we would do on the lessons. And this guy was just the dodgiest guy ever. At one point halfway through one of the lessons, he said to me, he said, you know, you're ready for the test and you're supposed to have 10 hours in car, but you know, you and I can just make a little deal if you want. And I can just say that you you've done the lessons and uh, I can just write it down. And I said, buddy, I paid for these lessons. I go to a restaurant. I don't eat half my meal when I pay for it. I eat the whole meal. I am not going to give up that time driving. And he was, all right, that's fine. This one day, though, I was having my lesson end at Warden Station, and it was going to end around the time that my dad's shift was ending. And I knew his shift would be ending at Warden Station, so I would end it there, and I'd get a ride home with him. And this guy was in a rush. Uh, the, The instructor was in a rush that day. Couldn't get there soon enough. So I was going southbound on Warden, right at St. Clair Avenue. And I was there, you have to take a left. And I'm in the middle of the intersection. And I saw coming down the hill was a car going a pretty good speed too in the opposite direction. So I was waiting for that car to pass before I took the left. And the instructor said to me, he said, go. And I said, no, I'm not going to go. That guy's coming down. I don't have enough time to go. He said, go. And I said, I'm. I'm not going to go. I, I'm just going to wait. What he did was he reached down and he pushed the accelerator with his right hand and he turned the wheel with his left hand. He did this from the passenger seat. And all of a sudden, I'm there going, holy smokes, and I floor it and I peel. Tires screeching, everything else from the left-hand lane on Warden and St. Clair. And then I get over to the right shoulder of St. Clair Avenue and straight down the ramp into Warden Bus Station. And my dad was standing on the platform and he saw everything. This all happened in a matter of about five seconds. I pull over right in front of my dad. I get out of the car and I'm standing steaming mad. And he's there saying, when I say go, I mean go. And I said, buddy, that wasn't safe. And I'm yelling at this point. And I said, and let me tell you another thing. And man, I said all sorts of things. I was steaming mad. And I was 160 pounds, 16 years old. This guy was a grown man. He could have, he could have done whatever. And dad just stares at this guy and he looks at me and he says, is there a problem? And I said, no, I've got it taken care of. And I could tell the guy, uh, the driving instructor, he had been through a a verbal lashing like that before because when I had said to him all those things, he just threw his hands up and went, okay, pick you up on Tuesday? And I said, sure. And so dad and I walked back to my dad's car uh, in the parking lot and he said, what happened? And I told him. And then I told him everything. I told him about... Uh, this guy wanting to go up and apologize to mom and this guy taking me to Kingston Road Motels to deliver fast food. He said, maybe I should have paid for the lessons and you paid for the insurance. And I said, well, it's done now. And I only got another class with him anyways. So no odds about it. But one thing I realized on that drive home and the way my dad was looking 
at that guy and not knowing the situation, but automatically giving me the benefit of the doubt. And I knew without my dad saying one single word that if something was to go down, he was on my side. That was the funny thing with those 50-50 deals I had with my parents. When it came to buying things and purchases, sure, we were 50-50. But when it came to having my back, my mom and dad, they were all in. What story should I tell? Uh, can you tell the big bad wolf? No, no, no. I mean, Father's Day is coming up. And I was thinking about maybe telling a story about Poppy. Okay. Which story should I tell? Uh, the, I would like the one that you did last, last night, the one. What was that one about? You and your teacher. Oh, you want to hear the story about me and my teacher? Yeah. Oh boy! Can you tell it, please? Okay, but that's a that's a tough story. You know why it's a tough story? Why? Oh boy, there's a lot of mixed up things in there. But you you know, you ever hear that saying? Oh, that person, I've got their back, uh, or yeah. somebody has their back. You, you have you ever heard that saying before? No. Well, you know what it means. Huh? Do you know how when we were on our bike ride? Yeah. And Daddy made sure that no cars were coming before yeah. we crossed the road? Mm-hmm. That's Daddy having your back, right? Yeah. Or you know how just before we leave the the driveway sometimes you say, when we're in the car, you say, Daddy, don't forget to put your seatbelt on. That's you having my back. And that's what that means. So I was in grade five. We went to this public school in Scarborough, and we had this teacher who she had had a baby. So she said she was only going to do half days from that point. What the school had decided was they were going to bring up the librarian to do the other half of the day. But she came up, and she had some very dated methods of teaching and even punishment. Uh, For example, if you had gotten caught for chewing gum in class, she would make you take your gum out and put it on your nose. Oh, that would be disgusting. (laughs) That was disgusting. And lucky for me, I didn't, I didn't ever chew gum. I didn't like chewing gum, but I did get in trouble for talking in class or not doing my homework or something. I can't remember what it was. She would make kids stand in the corner and face the corner for the duration of the lesson if they were caught talking in class. And something else she would do is she'd give detention. And in detention, you would just sit there and you would look at her for a half hour between 3.30 and 4. And sure enough, one day I got in trouble and I had to serve detention. She was likely the oldest staff member in the school, if not oldest, the second oldest to, to Mr. Bennett, who was one of the, one of the uh, janitors there. And she used to have these, these very large glasses. It was the 80s. It was the 1980s. And she had not just one string, 
that would hold them up. She had maybe five or 10 strings. And I, I guess she did it to, to entertain the kids or whatever. But when I had detention with her, she sat me right in front of her desk and I had to sit with my back straight and look straight at her with my fingers folded on the table and stare at her for a half hour. I wasn't allowed to do my homework. I wasn't allowed to read. I just had to stare at her for a half hour while she was doing whatever she was doing uh, on her desk. And the first day I was there, what she did about five minutes to four, she got up and she said, I need to leave the room for a second. I'll be back shortly. So I'm sitting there and I'm watching the clock. The second she leaves the room, I give this gigantic exhale. Oh my, I'm so happy she's she's gone. And I'm watching this clock just drag, just five minutes to four, and four minutes to four, and three minutes to four. It just couldn't go slower. And then, lo and behold, four o'clock comes along, and she's still not back. So I said, the heck with this. And I get up, and I leave. I go home. Where was Aunt Paulette? Aunt Paulette was two grades above me. She never got detention. The only time reason Aunt Paulette would stick around in school would be to clean the brushes as a favor of the teacher. Aunt Paulette was never in trouble like I was in trouble in school. That wasn't what Aunt Paulette did. And I go home and mom and dad said, hey, why are you late? And I said, well, I'm late because of this, that, whatever. And I had detention. And at 4 o'clock, she wasn't back, so I left. And my mom said, I don't know if you should have done that. And I said, well, that's, she told me 3.30 to 4. Next morning, I come in. I'm sitting at my desk. Our regular teacher is teaching. She makes a special trip up from the library to see me. Interrupts the class. She said, you left early. And I said, I left at 4 o'clock. And she was that mad at me. And she was that old school that when I said, I left at 4 o'clock, when you told me the detention was over, she screamed at the top of her lungs, don't you dare talk back to me. And I yelled back, going, you asked me a question. (laughs) And so I had detention the next night as well. And that next night, I was sitting there, back straight, hands folded, staring at this teacher. And once again, at five to four, she got up and she said, I'm leaving the room. Don't leave here until I get back. Once again, I watched that clock slowly, slowly, slowly make its way to four o'clock. And she still wasn't back. I got my book bag and I left. I didn't think twice about it. I got home. My mom said, how did it go? Okay. And they said, what do you think is going to happen tomorrow? And I said, I probably got detention until Christmas. (laughs) And that was only September. (laughs) Next morning I went in. She was furious. The steam was coming out of her ears. She looked at me and she said, you've got detention for the rest of the week. That night, I sat there. I looked at her. Once again, at five to four, she got up. She said, I'm stepping out for a second. Don't go anywhere until I get back. She left the room, and I just looked at the door. And every now and then, what she would do, she put her face back into the window that was in the door to see if I was still there. She was just standing there, waiting to see what I was going to do. I went home, and I told my parents that night, My parents were both really upset. My dad was there going, she's antagonizing him. He's not getting anything out of that time after 3.30. 
And I said, well, it doesn't matter. I've got this ridiculous detention until four o'clock every day for the rest of this week. And so dad just says, we'll see about that. And I didn't think anything more of it. I was just resigned to the fact that I was going to have detention for the rest of that week. The next day I'm in school, recess bell rings. I rush out the door like I always do. I'm out in the playground and one of my friends comes up to me and says, hey man, as I was leaving the class, I saw your dad. He was going into the class and I said, you sure it was my dad? He goes, yeah, no, everybody knows your dad. He's the guy with the TTC uniform on. And I said, what happened? And he said, I don't know, but he walked in and he closed the door behind him and man, was he mad. I said, wow, really? So I said, I'm going to go find my sister. So I try to find my sister, Paulette. I find her and I said, hey, dad's here. And she said, where is he? I said, he's up in the classroom. So her and I run to the classroom to go meet dad and he's already gone. And we run out to the parking lot to find his car. That's already gone. And I went, oh, I guess, I guess we missed him. So I go back up to class after recess. I take my coat off. I sit back in my chair. She comes up to my desk. She didn't even look down at me. She just looked straight ahead. And she said, Sean, you won't be having detention tonight or any other night this week. And I said, okay. I tried not to smile. And I went home that night and I asked Poppy, I said, what happened? He said, next time she has a detention for you, you tell her that your daddy says you got to come home. And I said, okay. What do you think happened in there? What do you think Poppy said to that teacher? My, I'm going to protect my son. I think he said something like, the time that Sean is spending in that classroom after 3.30 isn't productive. I think he said, you're playing games with my son and it's not very nice or professional. I think he probably said a lot worse than that now I think about it. but I think he said, go away, dummy. You think he called her a dummy? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's not a very nice word. But you know what that was? What? I think Poppy had my back. I think Poppy was protecting me when I couldn't protect myself because it was authorities and people who were bigger than I was. And that's what daddies do. Hey, can we do our song? Yeah. You know why this is our song? Why? When Sammy, when your older brother Sammy was a baby, he he had a hard time falling asleep. So I would pick him up in my arms and I'd walk him back and forth. And sometimes it'd be in the wee, wee hours of the night. And I'd sing every song I knew to him. And he didn't really like it, to be honest. He, well, he didn't mind it. Do you th- I got a question. Do you think I'm a good singer? I think you too. You and Mommy are a good singer. You do think I'm a good singer? Both of you. Both of us? Mm -hmm. You usually don't say that. What do you usually say about Daddy singing? Stop singing, Daddy. Why do you say that? Because I don't like you singing. (laughs) It makes me... It's so loud when you sing... Hmm. Okay. So, but wait, so when Sammy was a baby, I would walk him back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, and I'd sing Fiddler's Green 
and I would sing Sonny's Dream, and I would sing The Wild Rover. And he liked those songs, but it wouldn't make him fall asleep. And then I put on my LPs, my records. And, you know, they, they say it's true. Every kid likes, you find out what music he likes and what doesn't. He doesn't like. And Willie Nelson's greatest hits, it's a two-album set. And the second album, third song on that side that Sam would really like would be called Redheaded Stranger. The second last song was called If You've Got the Money, Honey, I've Got the Time. And the third and last song on that side of the album was called Whiskey River. And by the end of that song, by goodness, he was he was asleep. But you, you didn't like that. You didn't like the songs that I would do, Sonny's Dream. You didn't like Wild Rover. You didn't like Fiddler's Green. You didn't like any of them. But you did like this one song by Cindy Lauper called Time After Time. And I'd sing it to you over and over and over again. And you always liked that, and you would fall asleep to that song. At least you'd calm down. If you didn't fall asleep, you'd at least calm down. So that's why you and I still sing that song now. So do you want to do it? Yeah. Do you like this song? Yeah, I love it. You love it? Yeah. Okay. Oh, I like the hugs I'm getting now. Just that's for why I love you. What? What a lucky daddy I am. So let's do our song now, okay? Okay. Ready? Yeah. I'll do the line and you do it. If you're lost. If you're lost. You will look. You can look. And you will. And you will. Find me. Find me. Time after time. Time after time. If you're lost. If you're lost. You can look. You can look. And you will. And you will. Find me, find me, time after time, time after time, time after time, time after time. Oh, I think it's working again. Time after time, time after One time. time. If you're lost, if you're lost, you can look, you can look, and you will. And you will find me, find me, time after time, time after time, time after time, time after time. Good night, sweetheart. Mm-hmm.